I'm Dr. Stephanie Munt. And I'm Dr. Ellie Summers. And this is Two Women Running Their Mouths, a podcast for women who run by women who run. Our 80-20 rule, 80% dishing, 20% running. We're live. We're back. We're back. Season one, episode two. Yes, here we go. Two women running their mouths. Uh, Today, Steph and I are going to (laughs) dish. Yes, 80% dishing. (laughs) What are we talking about today, Steph? Today, we're going to talk about hips, basically all things hips, the things that um, women women get told about their hips and how they're involved in their pain and uh, why maybe these things that we're told aren't necessarily helpful or true and what we can do about it. Yeah. So what do women get told? Um, personally, I think the first thing I ever heard about mine were that, I mean, it was more weakness, but that my glutes were too weak, which I think is so common in the running world. It is um, so common. <laughs> I, I mean, that one, that one alone, I think sets the stage for a lot of other things that women hear, which is that their hips are too wide. Um, uh, maybe not too wide, but they have pain because they have wide hips. And I think it's pertinent that we chat about these things because it's pervasive um, in, in women, in our narrative, in running and in sport in general. Uh, and so, yeah, I think today we want to dish about it and chat about why these things are unhelpful and also probably why they're not true. And, um, sort of riff and spin on that. So it sounds like you've been told these things before, Steph. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, um, you know, one side of the pelvis being rotated too much because glutes on one side are too weak. Um, or, um, one, one, someone told me once that my sartorius was too weak. (laughs) (laughs) For those, for those of you who don't know, the sartorius (laughs) muscle is isn't it the longest muscle in the body? It is, and it's yes. a super skinny muscle that starts like at the top of the pelvis and sort of like, say, winds down to the inside of the knee. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not super helpful and no, right. No, <laughs> not one that we look at specifically very, very much because um, it, I don't know that it's really a problem ever. <laughs> not, not- no, I think in cyclists, maybe there may be some, um, some like fatigue problem issues because yeah. of that, uh, the motion of cycling, but I still haven't heard of it or seen it. So, you know, just any sort of like one specific muscle is too weak and yeah. that's your fault and that's what's causing your pain. And now your pelvis is not stable enough to do what you want it to do. That yeah. narrative. How does that make a person feel? Awful. Like garbage. <laughs> Like garbage. <laughs> it doesn't make you feel good. It makes you feel like your, your body is the problem and that you're the problem and that it's yeah. your fault and that there's nothing you can do to fix it. It's this unchangeable variable. Now, strength is a changeable variable, but your structure is not. Mm-hmm. And I think when runners are told these things, it can put them in this, um, cycle of negativity about what their body can do, how it can perform and function within the context of sport and running. Absolutely. Yeah. And to exactly to your point, strength is something that we can change and we can improve. However, 
just the global statement of your glutes being too weak doesn't actually correlate to distance running. Yeah. It's not true. If you're a sprinter, maybe you need more powerful glutes. Yes. Yes. But distance running. So, so not even the, the unmodifiable things about your stable or your structure being unstable, but then something that just really, when you look at the research and the way the muscles work, when you're doing long distance running, it's just not, doesn't even make sense. Yeah. I actually pulled up the Dorn, Dorn study. Um, so there's this study that is frequently referenced in the running world, in our running world in space, I guess you could say, that talks about the different forces and the different muscles that are required in different parts of the gait cycle and um, looked at it with relative to um, changes in speed as well. And as Steph highlights here with distance running, the glutes are like really not that important. <laughs> your hip flexors are more important even yeah. And your hamstrings. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the most important muscles actually happens to be our calf muscles. Um, you made a post about this on Instagram not that long ago. What I feel like, well, what did you compare it to with the calves? Didn't you compare it to something? Well, I've just had experiences where many people are told that they need to actually consciously think about squeezing their glutes while they're running. <laughs> and I even, I've told people that after the, I was told that in school, I yeah. even was guilty of that when I initially started. And then I thought, you know, I tried it myself. I was like, what, this is so uncomfortable. This is not normal. <laughs> and, and so I, and then reading more about just, you know, movement automaticity and movement freedom and how, you know, the top, the elite runners in the world are not consciously thinking about how they're moving. Yeah. So why should we be having people do that? Um, and that actually can make you less efficient too, because you are taking away from your movement freedom. Yeah. So I, you know, we, but we still have people saying that squeeze your glutes when you run and nobody says squeeze your calf when you run. And that's yeah. actually one that's helping you more. <laughs> <laughs> and to be clear, we wouldn't ask you to squeeze your calves either, but no, I think that no, no. comparison is a really good example of where, where we just got lost in the weeds on what causes injury and pain and why women specifically maybe have injury or experience injury and pain. And I think the concept that women, that our glutes are just always the problem is really messed up. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I feel like it stems from just a long history in the physical therapy world of perpetuating, perpetuating that narrative that hip weakness um, is necessary, or sorry, hip strength is necessary for you to be able to do these things. Um, and sure, we, you know, we want to have a strong body in all ways as athletes and that sort of thing. But um, personally, I think the narrative just got a little bit carried away. <laughs> yes, yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, especially as young, impressionable new grads and students, um, it's no one's fault necessarily. It's just like any other, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's, if you want to call it a theory or any other set of beliefs that just gets passed down until yeah. someone starts to question it and critically think about it and realize that maybe we've just been passing it along because we haven't delved into if this actually right. makes sense. Yeah. I think it's just the easy button, right? You get used to at least in working in a clinic space that's, you know, 
sort of classical in nature. You get used to some of the narratives that get passed along from older therapists and sort of saying what they say, and it gets easy. It's like, oh, this seems to work. So I'm just going to use that same narrative over and over and over again. And one of them happens to be, you know, hip width and hip weakness and um, this, this idea for women that we just have these unstable, weak pelvis regions, uh, which also brings me back to core strength. You know, it's all kind of tied into that middle area for women that for some reason, we're just made to feel like those regions are not good enough for these things. And they always have to be strong in a particular way. And they always have to move in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a huge barrier to this ultimate freedom of movement that I think we strive for as athletes, where you're just out there moving without thinking about it. And that's like the ultimate goal is to not to have to think about your body and what it's doing. And so as a coach and as a therapist, how do you feel what you say to an athlete can impact their performance? I think it has, the way that we say things and what we say has a huge impact on what they're going to focus on, what they're going to think about, and then ultimately too, how they perform. Because if you, if you do, and this is where it gets so tricky, and I think this is the the art of what we do is how to speak so that again, using those air quotes, say the right things or things that are less wrong um, in order to empower people um, and not scare them, but also help them realize like what the the plan of action needs to be for them to reach the goal. Because I think everything that we could say and we focus on or, or if we point something out that yes. they're already maybe self-conscious about or have been told before, then they may perseverate on that and that can become the focus. And I've done that so many times. Yeah. On same, same. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as a young therapist myself, it was like, that was just the way that it was done. And um, you didn't really think I didn't really think about the impact that that type of language would have on somebody um, long-term. You're just like trying to get somebody better, ideally as fast as possible. Um, But those narratives stick with people for years and years and years. In fact, I had a runner on my team who after your post, I had reshared it. She was like, oh my God, my mind is blown. I've been told my entire life that my glutes are weak. her entire life. And I mean, I just can't, I feel fortunate. I have never experienced that in my healthcare, like my pursuit of healthcare and consumption of um, the sporting world. But I just think that is such a, a disservice to so many, so many girls and women out there that we continue to say these things with no real basis behind them. Right. Absolutely. And then her whole life too. I'm sure she's worked on it. Yeah. But then another I, gotta, I gotta strengthen my glutes. I gotta focus on my glutes. And, um, I've had, I've had athletes who, you know, have been perpetually told they need to strengthen their glutes and they're working so hard on getting their glutes strong. And then they get to the point where they're like, I don't know how to make my glutes stronger than they already are, but it's still there. It's still very much part of their experience and something like you've said that you just tune into and you start to think about um, and you get a little bit too 
focused on and it can really draw away from the fun of the sport, the joy of your activity and how you feel about your body um, and body image. Right. Yeah. That's, I want to repeat that. That's the big point here is that it can really take away from the fun of the sport and, and how you feel um, like in control of your body and your capability of improving or healing whatever state you're in. Right. Right. Why do you think women get told these things? I think one of the things that comes back to, like you said, it's easy. Um, and it has to a certain extent worked. Um, you know, a lot of people do get better when they quote strengthen their glutes, whether they're actually doing strength or just doing some bridges, you know, what, or, uh, they just heal naturally over time. And so I think, um, for, for some it, that, um, kind of supports that hypothesis if they do end up getting better, um, at least in the short term. Um, and then I think there's probably a, you know, especially for core and glutes, there's an aesthetic component to it too, where, um, when, you know, women want to look a certain way and that may like also facilitate feeling strong or feeling good about their body. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, running itself is a very aesthetic sport. Um, I, I like to, I like to think, um, I tend to think that these types of narratives come from, um, just ingrained classical understandings of, uh, the sexes, I guess you could say. And what you see visually when you look, you know, you compare a man next to a woman and, you know, our thought is like, oh, she's got wide hips. And we automatically presume that this is the lesser, lesser state of the two in the ability sense. And, and I've never really understood that. Um, I don't understand why, why we compare a woman's body to a man's body in the first place. But the presumption is always that a man's is the better state. And all that means is that every part of a woman's body then is going to be broken down and torn to bits um, and made to seem like it's not capable of doing these things because obviously it's shaped different. <laughs> and, the irony, and the irony in that is, you know, if you kind of look in on some of the research and studies they've done, our Q angle. So for those of you who don't know what Q angle is, Q angle is essentially an angle of your hip um, relative to your pelvis, your thigh bone. I don't know how to describe that better on a podcast, but it's an angle. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, <laughs> an angle. If you, yeah, from your hip down to your knee, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so like thigh bone, hip to knee creates like this triangle shape. And um a lot of the studies that heard a lot, a lot, there's a study that I looked at a couple of years back that showed that these angles between men and women are actually very, very similar, if not nearly identical. And so sure, the structure and shape of a woman's pelvis is maybe a little bit different, but the angles themselves are really similar. We've also seen in a lot of um, studies done in the last several years when they've started looking at Q angle as a potential issue that it's not actually contributing to running related injuries or doesn't appear to be correlated. And so I think as a therapist and a coach now that hears people coming into my office saying these things and hears that they've been told these things by a provider, by a doctor, a physical therapist, a coach, a chiropractor, whoever, I like 
want to stop them in their tracks and reframe that narrative. Um, how would you reframe that narrative for someone? That, that's a really good question. And I'm excited to hear what you have to say too. Um, I think, first of all, it depends a lot on your relationship with that person. Um, if you've been working with them for a very long time and they, or you've known them, it's a friend or something and they bring that up. Um, I think you can be a little more direct, um, but for those who have been told this all their life and that feels like part of their identity, um, you have to be a little bit um, softer, I think, in that approach. Yeah. Um, so uh, resisting the urge to just be like, no, that's, that's actually not true. Look at the research. Because <laughs> that's, that's going to take time for them to accept and come to, to realize. So um, sometimes I'll try to um, just ask more questions about what has brought them to that conclusion. What if they actually think that that is what's going on. Yeah. Um, and then if they end up, because a lot of times, you know, working with people over several weeks or months, um, sometimes I'll just kind of stick, stick to that at first. And then after they're getting better, um, I'll start to ask a few more questions about, you know, do you, what do you think now looking back, do you think that any of those things were actually true and why or why not? Um, and usually they'll kind of come to their own conclusion, maybe that that wasn't actually an issue. Um, and I think that them coming to it is a lot stronger than, than my urges to just be like, this information, don't listen to that. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a, a steps bringing up a technique called motivational interviewing. And um, it's a skill to learn how to listen and resist the urge to fix or correct things. Um, and certainly in physical therapy and in the coaching world, these skills come in really handy because you want people to come to their own conclusions, if at all possible, by asking thoughtful questions, but you also want them to feel seen and heard. And if this is a real narrative for people coming in, a soft approach is really helpful. Um, there, I think, will always be certain folks who are just ready for that, like, shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> type of language. Um, yeah, but I'm with you there 100%. I tend to try and get curious about why, like, if they think it's true. And sometimes I'll just ask, you know, how did that make you feel when they told you that, you know, you have weak hips or that your hips are too wide or that your hips are the problem to all of the injuries you've ever had in your lower extremity? And usually that's when a person will open up and be like, it didn't feel good. Uh, and I think as a therapist, taking that listening approach allows you to figure out where, where somebody um, is ready to hear information and honestly, just kind of like move it along from there. So a lot of the times, instead of, you know, really focusing and reinforcing that narrative, I just focus on new narratives. So I'll be like, you know, maybe I test their hip strength and say out loud, your hips are so strong. It's really impressive. Um, and really focus on their strengths moving forward and the plan that's going to move them from where they are to where they want to be. Because ultimately, if they've been told these things over and over and over again, it's going to take a while for that uh, ickiness to clear out, I guess you could say. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I like that asking them how it made them feel. And then um, not necessarily just like you said, not fixing, but just sitting with that and being curious about their experience and not listening to um, have a better answer for them, but just listening to hear what they yeah. have to say. Yeah. Uh, which is really hard to do when you know, you know, that it's just like this, maybe this one thing that just is just making them feel bad all the time. Um, so yeah, then it also comes with maybe a little reassurance there that they're going to be okay. That even if they have weakness in their hips, that we can change that, um, that that's not a predictor for their ability to perform, for their ability to run healthy, for their ability to run strong, and for their ability to move past this um, current situation. Definitely. Yeah. And I even think even the language of, I try to not even say weakness anymore. Um, Same. That's what it's.